Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Welcome to 2018. Now we're going to talk about some really important topics for the next couple of weeks, but today we're going to focus a little bit on something that's near and dear to my heart and to every one of us at some point in our lives. You know, one in three of us at some point will get diagnosed with cancer all different types of cancer. And when you hear those words, when your doctor tells you that this is a problem that you have, it really does dramatically alter your world in an instant, not just for yourself, but for your loved ones, for your family, for your friends, and changes the trajectory of your medical care from that point onwards. Now, today, I am delighted to say that we are going to be hearing with the author of Surviving the Storm, a workbook for telling your own cancer story. We have author Cheryl Crowter here in the studio, and we're going to be talking about what inspired her to create such a narrative book and story and how this is going to be helpful for everyone, myself included, who happens to take care of people who either themselves or their loved ones or family members get diagnosed with this condition, this disease this word, this big emotional task of dealing with cancer. So welcome to The Body Show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Now, there's this moment that I I have this feeling. People say, where were you when you first heard Mm -hmm. about, you know, people talk about when you heard Kennedy was shot, when you heard about 9-11. For people who get a diagnosis of cancer, my own assumption is you remember that day what was going on, nothing else that might have been said after that. But that is this indescribable moment for which it was the before and after, really a story of your life. Tell me about that day. It's interesting as you're talking, I can feel the emotion. And this is a bit over 10 years ago that I got this news. And I can feel it as you're talking. And you're right. No one forgets that moment when you first hear. And where I was, I was at home, and I was waiting for a call because I had a biopsy. I'd been reassured pretty much all the way through. Oh, it's not cancer. Oh, it's not cancer. Next step. Ooh, well, maybe. Next step. Oh, it's looking bad now. So I'm sitting there, and it's a beautiful California afternoon, and my husband is up at a baseball field. My son is playing baseball. I'm thinking, okay, let's get this over with and head on up, right? The phone rings. It's my breast surgeon. And the first thing he says to me is, where are you? And I went, hmm. That's not a good question Uh, to hear. uh Uh-oh. And when I said I was at home, he then said, are you sitting down? At this point, I began to get cold. I was sitting in the chair. I said, yeah, I'm sitting down. And then he said, you have cancer. And literally, it was like being in a wind tunnel. I don't remember what was said after that. Probably something about I'll see you in my... I have no idea. I have a vague memory of heading up to this baseball field. And of course, I got a kid playing baseball. There's a crowd of people there. And being who I am, I'm like, okay, get it together. You, you, you can do this. You can get it together. I can hardly feel my feet. I'm like gasping for air. And I go into the stands, and my husband is sitting there, and he takes one look at me, and he, he just, he knew. Yeah. So we traipse out of the baseball field. Again, it's just like complete chaos in my brain, and he's babbling away about how we're going to do this. We're getting through it together. We can do all this and all of this. 
And I was just like, what? What is he talking about? And then it just really it just kind of all goes blank. And at that point, I just head on a conveyor belt of what needs to happen. I had triple negative breast cancer. Um, so there were, yeah, aggressive cancer. By the time I had a scan, a PET scan, and moved on, by the time surgery happened, what they told me was not metastatic into my lymph nodes had gone into the lymph nodes, which they found during a surgery that went way longer. Now, let's talk about what you mean by triple negative, because you Mm. and I know what that means, and a lot of folks might hear that and not understand exactly what we're referring to. Right. It's the most aggressive form of breast cancer, and what it means is that it's not hormone receptor positive. It's, It's negative for estrogen, progesterone, and also the HER2. So the only way to treat it is through a very aggressive chemotherapy regime, and there are no after-treatments. There's no pill you can take uh, that assures that, in quotes, you won't have a recurrence. So, yeah. And you're right. It is one of the more aggressive types, yeah. mm-hmm. and it limits some of your options because you don't get a chance to take hormone blockers. Right. I mean, some of the medications people hear about, tamoxifen, they right. hear about Arimidex, right. those block hormone receptors, right. and if your cancer doesn't have those... Right. It's not going to respond to it. So you were in this situation where, first of all, you hear this news, and then you hear the enormity of the news. Right. And you were in your life, you know, raising your son, having a wonderful, happy marriage, working, and boom. Mm -hmm. This is like the gauntlet is thrown down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, when you think of that moment, and it's funny because I... sort of sense that your husband was talking words and you didn't really know what those, they were just words. They weren't really. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. What could have been done differently with hearing that diagnosis? Would you have preferred to wait a few days and hear about it in the office? Were, were you okay to hear about it over the phone? If you think about that day, could anything have made it, and I hate to say any better because, you know, it's not like we can really make this better. I understand what you're saying. What could be different? How could people give that news differently? Like, I'm a physician, and I don't Mm -hmm. usually wind up being the one that diagnosed cancer. Mm -hmm. But for those people for whom I do, I want to do a better job. Could that day have been changed at all? Or no matter what would have happened, based on the situation, it would have been that way. Personally, I don't think it would have made any difference. That's what I thought. Uh, Some people might have needed a little more slow entry Mm -hmm. into it. Maybe they would want to sit down. For me, it's like, let's get the news over with and get going. Because you're right, from that moment on, your life is never the same. But I think what's different, looking back on that now, with some perspective, not only personally, but with others that I work with who have cancer, there's no way you know. Yeah. There's no way, and there's a lot of pressure, particularly for people who get diagnosed with cancer, immediately to find the gift of cancer, to become survivors. Like, this this is one thing I would have liked to have different. I, I can say this without any hesitation. I really dislike that people are called survivors at the moment of diagnosis. And there's a lot of literature that says this is when you become a survivor. And I really take issue with that because, for one thing, you don't know. It's like, am I going to survive this? It's very true. I have no idea. And you have no idea. I had no idea how my life would change. And to feel that burden of being told you're a survivor before you Mm -hmm. even know if you will, Mm -hmm. I think it almost negates the difficulty of the entire experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 
it's hard because everyone around you wants to say, you can beat this, you're going right. to do great. Right. And yet, who's the person who's going to receive chemotherapy in their veins right. at a chemotherapy center right. for the next however many weeks and the number of sessions? Right. That's you. Right. And this is such a personal experience that we're, we're with you doesn't really mean anything. I mean, it's a nice thing to say, I always wonder, what could someone say to you? Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. when we hear about people who, you know, they say, if you've lost a loved one or, or if you go back to work after losing someone who's important to you, everybody's afraid to ask how you are. Right. And, you know, I read this great book by, I think it was Sheryl Sandberg, uh, Option B. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, I read it in the middle of like a plane delay. It was the best thing because I was not this crazy woman stuck overnight in a, you know, not able to get home because I, I remembered that book and I went, I have nothing to complain about. Mm -hmm. But one of the things she said is she went back to work and I think she was working at Facebook or something. And she said some people were so afraid to ask her how she was or ask her about her recently deceased husband. Yeah. And what she really wanted was for someone to just acknowledge it and ask her how she really felt, not ignore it because it was easier for them to ignore her feelings and to engage in that process of of empathy. Mm -hmm. What can people say to someone who is diagnosed with cancer or any major illness mm -hmm. that actually is helpful? Because I'm always wary of the pat suggestion of it'll be okay, you're going to do great. How do I know that? Exactly. I really don't. Exactly. What yeah. can be said that makes more sense or that feels better? Well, you already said it, which is a very simple question. How are you? How and are you really? How Not are you? And then the point is to listen. Mm. And I appreciate uh, listening is, is a real lost art. And people may ask, how are you? And then, you know, start looking around the room and, oh, please don't tell me. I, I think for people, they're, they're frightened to ask those questions, whether they be professionals or personal friends, whoever it is, they're frightened because they're afraid they might have to do something. So I think it's also important to let people know who are the professionals who are helping, the partners, the friends. It's like, you know, you don't have to do anything. There's, there's nothing, unfortunately, that you can fix. This is not a fixable. I mean, the, what's going to fix it, hopefully, is that poison that's going to go through my veins. That's the fix. What I need is just for someone to say, how are you? And then to be able to listen. One of the most important skills we often forget. Mm -hmm. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We'll be right back after this quick break. I'm here with author Cheryl Crowter, and we're talking about getting that devastating diagnosis and how we can all support one another who have this experience or if we ourselves do, what it is that we most need to learn. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with author Cheryl Crowter, and we're talking about what happens when you get a cancer diagnosis and what happens as you go through treatment and what can the rest of us, if it's not us, say to support that individual, and if it is us, what else do we need? 
Now, we've talked about you getting the diagnosis and how this absolutely changes your life. One of the things that people often, these days they do, you know, 20 years ago they didn't even do this, but they often create a system where they ask you, you know, are you distressed about it? Mm -hmm. What do you need? There's this checklist now, this distress score, which is is a step up from what we used to do, which is not exactly. asked at all. Yeah, exactly. But it seems far from what someone may need. Mm-hmm. How did you approach that distress score checklist? And and do you think it's sufficient? Do we really is it is it engaging people at all in a level in which some type of intervention can be positive and can be done? There's a lot of layers to that. For me personally, it infuriates me because I see those 10 questions with small check boxes and I'm supposed to check where I am and there's no room for any narrative. There's no room to really ex- for any expression and to really say the complexities and the multiple layers that you're experiencing. The other aspect, though, I think you're right. It is a step up and to at least have that guideline is really important. However, what I've experienced more as a professional and then with clients that I see in varying degrees of a cancer diagnosis, many different types of cancer, is that they are given these distress screening reports, but then they just go into the the ether. And oftentimes they're never responded to. Some of this, of course, is because the resources are slim, but often I think it's just because they go into a, you know, the file or the cancer survivor requirement for the for the plan. There's a checkbox that they're filling yeah. to they say are you supposed, did they, your checkboxes. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're done. And and professionals are overwhelmed, and you probably have some sense of it yourself. They're overwhelmed. And so for me, what I think is important is, for one thing, to create the narrative, and then also in other, sort of in other stories, is to be able to resource and refer to people who can then pick up the pieces of where people are. I think both are really important. I think that's a very important point to make, which is cancer now includes a cancer team. Mm-hmm. That it used to be a patient and a doctor, and that was it. And now we're starting to recognize, maybe in the infancy stage, that, you know, truly it takes a village. So it is it is a doctor, it is a patient, it is their family, it is their loved ones, their friends. It is also the nurses at the cancer center. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. the other people in their lives who are affected. It includes people who help with navigation, just literally getting from point A to point B yeah, is yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. really difficult. Where is the radiation center? Where do I park when I get chemotherapy? If I don't feel strong enough, how do I get out of my car in to go get my treatments? What other resources are available just just to deal with the logistics? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I mean, sometimes I know I just get caught up in logistics. And here in Hawaii, and it may not be this way in California, but boy, everything is about where you can park. <laughs> no, it's a. De- <laughs> I mean, if you don't find parking, you're not going. Listen, in the San Francisco Bay Area, yeah, you're okay. You're pretty thrilled deal. when you find a parking lot. Yeah, this you is find, a good day. That's true, the right? With we cancer, shouldn't complain. I yeah. found a parking lot. <laughs> there you go. You know, and I can't yeah. parallel park. I can't live in the city of San Francisco because yeah, yeah. I can't hill park oh. or hill hall. I would just forget it. Like I'm just geographically not able to go somewhere with hills. So a lot of times there's all these logistics, but it takes a team. Mm-hmm. It is now a team approach, a team mm-hmm. effort. And you're right. Every member of that team needs plays an important role, mm-hmm. needs to be part of that, mm-hmm. but picks up, 
the hands off from picking up the pieces of, yes, someone says that they have distress in transportation or in ability to tolerate food Mm -hmm. or in getting the right nutrition on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. uh, getting up out of bed. I mean, lots of different things that cause people to, these are the direct effects. These are the things that I often feel you won't hear from a doctor because they don't even know how hard it is for their patients to get Mm -hmm. in the front door Mm -hmm. and they forget. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important for us all to remember all of these elements of what gets someone to even get close to dealing with the storm, let alone surviving it. Absolutely. So what would be a better way to approach it? You mentioned that there's a distress score. There's not really a narrative. Your entire book is built on creating a narrative, Mm -hmm. sharing your story. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that you as a professional have helped people to do. Mm -hmm. What is the difference in a narrative approach versus the checklist approach? The narrative approach focuses, again, more on listening And the narrative approach doesn't say, this is what you should eat. This is how you should exercise. Here's the checklist that you're supposed to follow along with. Here's the things you should be thinking and feeling. It says, what are you thinking and feeling? How are you? This relates a lot to dealing with the trauma of the diagnosis, the trauma of the treatment, which often the trauma of the treatment lingers on and on. There's tremendous collateral damage. Sometimes that's invisible as the years go on. And there's little attention given to that phase where people finish treatment and it's, they like fall off the end of the earth. And, well, you're done, everything's good, you're fine, and so on. But all that trauma, it's physical, it's emotional, it's, it's psychic, it's, it's all of the above. So that's what I felt really passionate about addressing and finding a place where people would say, no, 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 you really have to give some kind of parachute almost for someone to sort of glide down with into some territory where they can begin at that point exploring. So I feel like if I start seeing somebody, maybe they've just finished treatment or they're in the last throes of treatment, what I've discovered is that if I can help them explore, tell their story, work with what's happened to them. It's arbitrary, but it seems to be about a year. And at that point, I had one woman, it was great. She had no, I'm not going to survive. No, it's done. I can't make plans. It's, it's over. I'm, you know, I'm done. So finally I said to her, well, you know, you're still here, so you may as well make a plan or two. And she said, well. Maybe dinner next week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, really. She's like, girl, girl. Okay, finally. But what happened with her finally is like she's, she started coming every other week. And then finally she says to me, you know, I, I'm like too busy. I can't be. I in, have too many plans. I, I, I'm, I'm ther- I can't be in therapy, and that to me, that was the best success. It's like, yeah, you're right. Go. If you don't have time for me, because you have other plans, Good. because you're now living your life and you're engaging in your life, and that's, I think, the helpfulness of being able to to talk your story. Now, you've been through this entire experience mm-hmm. personally, mm-hmm. but you professionally are helping other people as they go through it. Mm-hmm. Was that something you were doing before you got the diagnosis? No. If you told me that I was going to have a specialty in working with cancer, I call it the specialty that chose me. Mm. I did not choose. I was. I worked with artists, performers. I do long-term depth, existential, humanistic psychotherapy. I, it was totally not on my radar. So I feel like I saw the need. I saw this hole, and I thought really hard about whether I wanted to do it or not because I knew what it would be like. I'd have to go back into that world. Uh, As a therapist, I'd have to interface with people who would dismiss 
a lot of my ideas and philosophies, but I decided that it was important enough to take the call. When you work with people now, are there common themes that you see that the medical profession is still not addressing the way that they ought to? Mm -hmm. Well, let's go back to the distress screening because in terms of how they look at that and what comes out always as the number one concern of a cancer survivor, number one is fear of uncertainty. Yeah, I'm scared when I don't know where I'm going and I might have to find parking. Well, exactly. Alone, so back to the, or you'd have life. to parallel park on a hill. Oh, forget yeah. it. It's just I, I just won't. I'll just not go. Yeah. You might have to work the workbook a little. I think I, I, think, I, I think I need to do it for my own issues. There right, you go. Exactly. So fear of uncertainty, of course, we all face. We're human beings. We face it. But when you get this, you know, you get this wake-up call, it's like, oh, oh, you know, you could die here. That's a major wake-up call. Your fear of uncertainty now accelerates, and that, that shadow is going to be there the rest of your life because cancer has no cure. It doesn't. So fear of uncertainty clearly translates to the fear of recurrence. Always. And I think that that is what is not addressed thoroughly at all. It's like, oh, you're done, you're fine, and um, go now, go away. And people feel often, again, very cut loose They've had this life-threatening disease, and now you're, you're, you're told to go, and you're told, well, if you have pain for two weeks, you know, give me a call. But then it, it's concerning because you feel like, well, you know, is that have I had that pain for two weeks? Is it serious enough? If I call, they're going to think I'm, you know, whining and complaining. But if I don't, you know, I might miss something. And people get very frightened. I'm, am I going to miss something? Because cancer, as we know, often has no symptoms until you're like, bam, there it is. So it's it's a the fear of uncertainty, I think, could be way more acknowledged, dealt with, looked at, and worked with. And how do you help the people that you work with to deal with that very level of uncertainty, of not knowing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's such a deep personal process of exploration. Each of us is going to have a different way that we come to some kind of terms. I don't say peace because I think that's a tall order to come to peace with it. But I believe that we can come to terms of how do you learn, how do I learn the very reality. It's an existential reality that we live with uncertainty. So it's a, actually a beautiful exploration of, of knowing yourself well enough and being able to face uncertainty. And what I've found really deeply with myself as well as others is in that acceptance of uncertainty can lead to an incredible freedom in your life. Well, accepting uncertainty and adopting the freedom element Yes, we're going to talk some more about that in a minute because I'm still trying to grasp how that would work to live in uncertainty and find it freeing. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with author and psychotherapist Cheryl Crowter. We will be right back. We're talking about her book, Surviving the Storm. And I want to know how I can be free with uncertainty because that to me sounds like the scariest thing of all. We'll be right back after this quick break. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ulupono Initiative, Impact Hub Honolulu Co-working, and iDoctors Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with author Cheryl Crowter, and we're talking about surviving the storm of getting the cancer diagnosis. And right before the break, we talked about the fact that 
if you do get to the point where you survive your cancer storm, sometimes you kind of let loose the oncology doctors say you no longer have cancer. Why are you here? You go back to see your regular doctor who says, I don't know why your leg hurts. What if it's cancer? I don't know. And they may not be able to help you with that level of uncertainty. And you said something that I think bears explanation because I'm still trying to grasp it. And I suspect I may not be the only one who's trying to understand this. You said living in uncertainty can give you freedom. And that just sounds scary to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The freedom to what? To not worry about the uncertainty? Well, we all like to control things, right? Yeah, I'm a control yeah, freak. I we mean, all, I'm controlling yeah, the show yeah. right now. We, well, and you're doing an excellent job. Well, <laughs> you know, hopefully. We'll see. I'm totally befuddled by this thought of, of um, losing control. Well, because we all want to be in control. But control is an illusion. It doesn't exist, yeah. okay? I know. Burst my bubble. I know. It's really, it's, it's mm. you know, uh, we can still try. I mean, and get very crafty at it and, and, and good at it. I mean, I myself have very crafty techniques. But what I know and this is a very personal exploration that's led led me to this. It's not some theory that I'm talking about. I mean, it's it's a it's a life of work, and it's and it was really bolstered by the cancer diagnosis because at that point, you know, there was no control. I had no control over getting cancer. I had no control over the kind of cancer I got. There's been numerous things in my life that have happened over the last ten years that I've had no control over. So, in letting go of control, what's happened for me is this sense of openness. Like, you know what? If that person thinks a certain thing of me, you know, I can't control how they think of me. And so, you know what? I'm just going to barrel on. And not care. And, well, it's, no, I think you still care. I think that's the subtlety of this. Hmm. We care. We care. You know, I care what you think of me. I care how people receive me. I care how, you know, I I care about that. The difference is getting attached to it so much Ah, that it stops me. The attachment. And the attachment to, I'm so afraid I'm going to get cancer again, or I'm so afraid, you know, fill in the blank of whatever it is that, you know what? Let's see what happens. If you can just continue on with your life knowing that I, I have no control over that. So I'm, it's sort of like the client I mentioned. I'm just going to make the plans. You know, I'm going to do things that I might in the past have not done because I was afraid to do it or, oh, I can't do that or I'm not good enough for this. It's like, you know, you know bleh on that because at this point, you might as well just really go for it. Now, all of this inspired you your story inspired you to share your story and to help other people to learn how to tell theirs. Tell me about the book. Well, the book, I'm looking at it. Yes. It's a very beautiful book. Oh, thank you. Beautiful clouds <laughs> on there. I really like the yellow rectangle because it's hearkening to National Geographic and it's one of my favorite magazines. Hmm. Never goes out of date. Where, first of all, where can people find it? I mean, I just described it. Now yeah. everybody wants one. Well, thank you very much. You can get this book. My website is uh, the W's, as I call them, CherylCrowder.com. That has links to uh, Oxford University Press, who's the publisher, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Okay. Yeah. So lots of places people can get yes. it. Uh-huh. And just so that if people are writing this down, I want them to be able to uh, look you up. So it's C-H-E-R-Y-L and Crowder, K-R-A-U-T-E-R. That's correct. So if they were to go to your website... Mm-hmm. Or put your name into any of those other websites, Oxford University, Amazon, or Barnes & Noble, they could find it. I would show up. Also, my website links to my other website, which is cancersurvivorsupport.com. 
and that has uh, that has a blog that I write. It also has information for people who are struggling with cancer. Sometimes it's you know research resources and so on. And it sounds like the best thing that professionals can do, I can do, is respect the fact that if I give this diagnosis to someone, my first step needs to be to listen Mm -hmm. to them Mm -hmm. and their experience and Mm -hmm. their fears. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who has thoughts and worries that they might not be able to understand the other side of this journey, they should seek out someone like you who's told your story shared the narrative, and also been able to bring this all into a collective and help other people through that journey. I really want to thank you. You're here on vacation. You're helping us out. You're part of the show, and yet what an inspiration to everyone else. Uh, I need you to come back. I want you to uh, share your expertise with us again here on The Body Show. I'd love to. If you'd like to hear us again, you can click on our podcast, whypublicradio.org, and you can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. See you next week. We'll continue the story.